and welcome back to Open Questions. My name is Ben Gillen. My name is Jonathan McCullough. And we're two graduate students at USC doing this podcast on mathematics. If you didn't listen to our first episode, kind of the central conceit here is that we take turns explaining concept and mathematics to each other. So therefore, one person knows the topic and understands what's going on, and the other person is blindfolded. Just kind of like you, listener, are going to be unable to see either of us. Well, the person trying to do the explaining is not going to be able to be seen by the person getting explained to. I'm going to blindfold myself uh, and going to learn about something. I believe this should be episode two. There was a secret second episode that (laughs) happened that was a bit of a failure. But you know, this is a learning process and we're having a good time with it. So yeah, today, Jonathan, if you want to blindfold yourself. Go ahead. I'm blindfolded now. Can't see anything. Today, our topic is going to be on coding theory, specifically a niche on Hamming codes and more generally error correction. Have you heard anything about this before, Jonathan? Uh, yeah, I did a um, I did a class in undergrad. I TA'd for a class called Math is Everywhere, and um, it was a class for a lot of people to get their quantitative requirement, and error correction was one of the units. So I know a little bit about error correction. Cool. Not a ton, but... Well, you don't need a ton, because hopefully I'm going to try to explain this from, from the ground up. And so for this podcast, there's actually a really good uh, 3 Blue 1 Brown video that he released a few years ago uh, that has like some good examples and intuitions, but I'm kind of going in a different direction from that video. I also, in my undergrad, I took a discrete math course whose notes I reference back to because we talked about error correction. And also there was this interesting book that I found online called From Error Correcting Codes Through Sphere Packings to Simple Groups. Through Sphere Packing? Yes, yes, which we'll come to in just a sec because that kind of provides some background. So let me set the scene, set the picture, okay? Please do. Of a young, young, middle-aged yeah, he, Richard Hamming. He was born in 1915, and this was 1947. So therefore, he was 32 at the time. Okay, <laughs> good so good math. A relatively young Richard Hamming working at Bell Labs. Have, do you know anything about Bell Labs? Yeah, this is like uh, Mrs. Maisel. Uh, her dad works at Bell Labs. So it's like, is that a show? I haven't seen that. Yeah, yeah, and um, a lot of famous people worked at Bell Labs. Yeah, Bell Labs is kind of famous for being the one non-university or non-educational like institution which has had a lot of Nobel Prizes come out of it. Because after World War II, up until the 80s, it died out. It may have, yeah. there, were, there were some controversies in the 80s in Bell Labs with like some false data coming was out. It, was it the telephone company? Yes, Alexander yeah. Graham Bell yeah. created Bell Labs. Right. And so it, it ha- it's this really interesting institution with a long and storied past. C, you know, uh, the coding language C, yeah. that was developed in Bell Labs uh, by a fellow New Orleanian. Oh, God, I don't remember How his many name. Nobel Prizes are coming out of New Orleans? <laughs> Not many out of New Orleans, yeah. but out of Bell Labs, I think there were like 17 in total. Really? Wow. They were doing a lot of interesting groundbreaking stuff. Yeah. And so one of the things they were doing, okay, with this young, youngish Richard Hamming, okay, mm-hmm. back in 1947, is he was doing lots of programming 
specifically programming on punch cards. So punch cards were like an early form of computing where you would make a program by literally taking like note cards and punching out holes in specific places in the note cards. Mm -hmm. And then you take hundreds of these note cards mm -hmm. and then feed them through this computer one after another. Right. Right. And so the computer would read each of these in turn and interpret them and turn them into a computer program. Right. These were the first computer yeah. programs. So, yeah, this is before like monitors or anything. Exactly, because they they can't type stuff onto yeah. a keyboard. They don't have that technology yet. Right. They have punch cards that they feed through the computer. Is it like the like the electricity goes through the hole, but no, nothing else in the? Is that why there's punches? Like I I never knew why there were punches. Oh God, I do not know enough okay. about okay. punch because that's that's not. <laughs> That's yeah, interesting yeah. to our story, but it's, it's not okay. But we're we're, we're passing through it because the thing is, is that these computers were unreliable. Okay, okay. about two to three times a day, they throw up an error, right? Because the idea is uh -huh. around this time, they would have like six slots on the punch card where you could punch holes out, and so the idea is on every card you'd want to punch two holes out. Okay, and so if the computer saw only one hole has been punched out. It's like, oh, error, I don't know what's going on anymore. Human error, though, right? Actually, usually not. Usually computer oh, okay. error is that the computer just couldn't read the oh, punch cards. Oh, it thought it was one, but it was two. Exactly. There were oh. actually two punches on the card, and the computer just thought it was one or three. It was just okay. unable to read the cards properly. Richard Hamming kept running into this problem. Okay, He would drop oh. this stack of punch cards into the computer on a Friday evening and then leave for the weekend. Oh. And like... Two hours after he left, uh, the computer would hit an error and stop, and he'd get back there on Monday, and he's like, none of this has been done. This is so annoying. I have to, like, restart everything. And so the famous quote is, he said, damn it, if the machine could detect an error, why can't it locate the position of the error and correct it? Uh, okay? And so that was kind of the origin of error correcting codes and error corrections. He basically invented the whole field starting in 1947. And his work was picked up then by Golay, who invented like a more refined version of error correcting. And then Golay's work 12 years later was used in a major way by John Leach when he was talking about sphere packing. Okay. Like using Golay's work on error correcting codes, John yeah. Leach was able to prove how to, when we talk about sphere packing, we're like, all right, take a box. How many spheres can we pack really? into this box? What's the most efficient way to pack spheres into the box? Oh, wow. Using error correcting codes, we can figure that out. And then as a last little final piece of the puzzle, yeah. um, Leach's work on, on sphere packing was used by John Conway in simple groups, proving, I think, yeah. helping classify simple groups. Yeah, I mean sphere packings are so cool. That's awesome. That's uh, I that's very surprising to me that error correction would at all like go in that direction and help a more pure area of math rather than the other way around. Usually it's the more pure questions that help out the applications. That's crazy. Yeah, it's it's cool to trace the lineage and I would recommend if anyone is interested in learning more about that, the the book I said earlier from error correcting codes through sphere packings to simple groups. I found it online and it has, it has math and it has story. So that's kind of cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So now 
uh, let's talk about what error correction is, right? We have a little bit of intuition, but let's give a little bit more. What is error correction in our modern day? For example, if you have a CD or a DVD that gets scratched, which maybe some of our listeners who are a bit younger have never had to deal with a CD or DVD, but we know about CDs and DVDs. And the thing is, when you scratch one, you can still put it into the computer and oftentimes it'll still work. Right, right. Why is that the case? Alternatively, if you're trying to send messages and there's some chance that there's some like data corruption, how can you still make sure that you're understanding the correct message? So let's take a very simple toy example, okay? So you're in a spaceship, okay? And just like you are now, you're blindfolded, yeah. okay? You can't see outside of the spaceship. Okay, yeah. Okay? But I'm sending you uh, messages from my command base. I can see space around you. Uh-huh. And so you're flying forward in space, and you're about to go through an asteroid field, okay? Yeah. And I'm trying to help keep you from hitting those asteroids. And so there are four messages I can send you. Left, right, up, and down. Oh, nice. Okay. Okay? Yeah. And so say that I left is the message zero, zero. Why am I saying zero, zero? Because presumably if I'm sending this wireless to you, we're sending it via computers, right? Via bits. Mm -hmm. And so bits Mm -hmm. can only take the value zero or one. Those are our binary codes, right? So this whole time we're going to be working in binary codes, lots of just zeros and ones. And so my left code to you is zero, zero, right is zero, one. Okay. Mm -hmm. Up is one, zero and down is one, one. Okay. Okay. But most importantly, let's just remember left is zero, zero, and Uh right is zero, one. So what happens if I see an asteroid, I see an asteroid on your right, so I send you the code zero, zero, go left, okay? Yeah. But in that transmission over to you, that second bit gets flipped, and the zero, zero turns into a zero, one. Right. And you're going to steer right, therefore, right into that asteroid. Yeah. And blow up. (laughs) Yeah. So the question is... Not good. Not good at all. The question is, how can we prevent that? We can never have a perfect assurance that we can correct our code. But the idea is we want to add some robustness to the system. I I have a guess if, well, I kind of know. Okay. From the the class I took, or at least maybe the first thing someone would try. What's the first thing to try? Well, you could send... If you're trying to send zero one, uh-huh. you could send ten zeros and then ten ones. And we understand that I look for the first ten, like I look in groups of ten. Yes. Okay. Exactly. That's the right. first thing to try, right? Because then, if one of those first ten zeros gets flipped, mm-hmm. we still have nine other zeros, and you can say, "Oh, with all likelihood." Mm-hmm. you're sending me the code for zero one, which is go right, okay? Mm-hmm. Even if two of those first 10 zeros are flipped, you're like, you can say still, oh, right. it's probably still go right. But the problem with sending those 20 digits, right? There's this internal tension here between sending those 20 digits. That's a lot of information I have to send you right. to only get two pieces of information out, right? right? Zero one is the information you get out from 20 digits. There's this trade-off between sending more information. Do you want to make sure that the person on the other end gets the right message? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But the more information you have to send, 
well, that's more of a waste of time. It's right. a waste of space. So yeah. you want to pare that down. And we don't want to send that, that many bits. We don't want to send yeah. that much, but we want to still get a lot of information and also be able to detect and correct errors. Right. right. Okay. So in order to understand how good our code is to really mathematize that trade-off, we can talk about Hamming distance, okay? Yeah, okay. Which is a metric, if people know anything about analysis, it's a metric. But importantly for here, the Hamming distance is the distance between two messages. Right, okay. Okay. So we can talk about our code. What is our code? When we talk about our code, when I mention our code, I'm talking about the set of all messages we can send. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in my earlier example, my messages were left, right, up, or down, which corresponded to 00, 01, 10, and 11. Mm -hmm. Those were my four different messages. Right. And the total set of all my messages is what I call my code. Okay. So those four messages made up right. my code. The set of the four is yep. the code. Okay. Okay. And so now we need to consider in that code handling distance between two messages. And having distance is just the total difference between two messages. So for example, between left and right, 0, 0, and 0, 1, can you take a guess at the distance, the Hamming distance between those two codes? Distance 1. Exactly. Because they just have one element is different. Mm -hmm. And in binary, you're just counting the number of flipped? Exactly. Okay. The number of flips. So the distance between right and up right is zero one and up is one zero, that distance mm -hmm. is going to be one. Two. Two, exactly. Right. Very straightforward. You flip both bits and so it's a distance of two. Mm -hmm. Cool. Here's what we care about when we're talking about a code overall, which is the set of all of our messages. We care about the minimum distance between any two of our messages. Mm -hmm. Okay? Because the minimum distance between two messages determines how good our code is overall. Because if we have two messages that are really close to each other, then there's a chance oh, okay, that see. one of those yeah. messages turns into the other message. Right, so we're trying to maximize the minimum hamming distance in the code with the least number of bits. Yes, yes. We want to maximize the minimum distance. If messages are closer to each other, we have a worse code because mm -hmm. let's remember your example of 10 zeros and 10 ones. 10 zeros and 10 ones is very far from 10 zeros and then another 10 zeros. Right. Right? Right. Yes. Yes. But if we have a message that's like 19 zeros and then a one, maybe that's another one of our messages. That message is very close to 20 zeros. Right. And so the, that minimum distance would just be one. And that's a bad minimum distance to have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense so far? Yeah. Yeah. Like you wouldn't want to have both of those in your code. Your code doesn't have to be all of the binary possibilities mm -hmm. for a given number of digits. You're like choosing a subset. Exactly. Choosing okay. a subset. We've determined, okay, our code is going to be 10 bits long, okay? Mm -hmm. And so yeah. how many different codes are there if you have a 10-bit long message? Mm -hmm. Two to the 10th, right? Right, right. So the 
the smaller your subset, the higher you can make your minimum distance. And if your subset is the whole thing, then your minimum distance is one. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Right. Let's talk about um, the difference between error detection and error correction. So maybe you listeners at home have already developed, you're already taking guesses as to what we need for error detection versus error correction or what they mean. But all error detection means is that we are able to get some code and figure out whether one of the bits has been flipped. There's some error, i.e., right? We can detect an error if the message we receive is not any of the messages in our code. For example, right. if our code was just 1-1 and 0-0, and you received, Jonathan, a 0-1. Right. I know there's an error. Exactly. Right. And then error correction, which we've talked about, is if I send you 10 zeros and 10 ones, and one of those zeros or one of those ones has been flipped, then of course we can correct that error. That makes intuitive sense to people, right, I think. Right. So the question is, what code should we use, right? Mm -hmm. There are trade-offs between different codes. For the code we choose, we want the messages in that code to be really far away from each other. Mm -hmm. We want to have to flip a bunch of the bits in a message in order to get to any other message so that if one of the bits in a message we send flips accidentally, we still can figure out what message I was trying to send. But mm -hmm. at the same time, we don't want each message to be too long because that's kind of a waste of resources, a waste of space, and that'll slow us down. That'll slow us down. That'll slow our computers down too much, so we don't want to have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how do we balance out these two things, this this length of code versus our ability to correct and detect errors. I want to give people some intuition and a little mathematical understanding today. So in order to do that, let's imagine the simplest possible code with only one element in it, okay? One message. Mm -hmm. If I send you the message one, okay? That's the only message I can send you. Okay. And you receive a zero. Then that's an error. That's an error. And you know with perfect clarity, okay, I know no matter what message I receive, I can, one. I can always correct it. It always should be one, right? Yeah, yeah. This code, which has perfect ability to correct errors, not just detect, but correct errors, but there's no information I can convey in it. Right, right. As opposed to our earlier message with the spaceship, where we right. had four messages, there were no other possible messages to send you. And so therefore, if there was an ever an error, you would have no idea. Right. And you would right. run into the asteroid. Okay. Yeah. So the idea is we have a couple different parameters we're working with. These are the three main parameters that we're finding this tension between. Right. right. Okay. Yeah. Say we're working with some code. The question is, what are the number of messages in that code? Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What is the minimum distance between those messages? Yeah. Yeah. And what is the length of each message? Right. How many right. bits? Eight, 10 bits in each message. Right. Okay. And these three factors all depend on each other. For example, you can't have a really big minimum distance if you're using all the possible messages, right? right. In our early example, we were using all possible messages. Yeah. And so therefore, their minimum distance was one. Right. Okay. Right. And so here, I'm going to introduce a new part of the podcast, okay? Oh, Which okay. I'm going to call Proof of the Day. Nice. Or Proof Corner. 
Proof corner. Proof corner. What do we like more? Uh, proof. Proof of the proof corner because. We're not doing this every day. <laughs> True. Okay, proof corner. All right. Here's our proof corner where I'm going to try to do a little proof. Okay. It's not too hard. It's not too bad. And I'm hoping you're going to be able to understand it. Cool. All you right. ready? Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. Here's our proof. Okay. We're going to try to find some upper bound on the number of possible messages we can send given some minimum distance between messages uh, yeah. and the length of messages. So you fix two of them and try and make the third one as best as you can. Exactly, right? Uh -huh. And what two are we fixing? Once again, minimum distance, right? How many bits you need to flip to get from one message to another. Mm -hmm. And the length of message, how many bits are in each message, okay? Right, and we're trying to maximize, or we're trying to find an upper bound on the number of messages in the code. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Sweet. Math is a visual subject, so this proof quarter may not work out, but we're gonna I'm gonna attempt it today. I'm down, I'm down. Yeah. Okay. So we're first gonna assume that our minimum distance is two E plus one. Okay. Okay. So if E is one, then our minimum distance is three. Okay. Okay. And the length of message is going to be N. Okay. Okay. So in our earlier example, n was two in our spaceship, and then you grew n to be twenty. Gotcha. Right. Right. Minimum distance two e plus one. Length of message n. Okay. Okay. So for each message in our code, we want to find some ball around that message. Okay. Yep. And so by ball, I mean take all the messages kind of around it. If you take our original message and you flip mm -hmm. the first bit, that's another message that is just distance one from our message, okay? Yep. You can flip the second bit, and that's another, that's another message that is also one away from our original message. Right. Right? So the ball of radius one is just if you flip one of the bits, in, and it doesn't matter which bit you flip. Exactly. Just one of them. And if you flip two of the bits, yeah. of any of the bits, then... If you take the collection of all that, you get the ball of radius two. Right. Okay. okay. Got it. And so let the center of the ball be the message itself. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And so basically we're saying, how far are we getting away from our message? What is the radius of the ball? Let the radius be E. Okay. okay. Remember our minimum sure. distance is two E plus one. Yeah. Okay. And so we have this ball with radius E. And since the minimum distance between two messages is 2e plus 1, yep. none of our balls intersect with each other. I agree. Right. Yeah? Yeah. Because but if it was 2e, you would get them just touching each other. On the edge. Yeah. Exactly. To get from the center of one ball to the center of another ball, you would need to flip 2e plus 1 bits. Right. Right? And since our balls are only radius e, well then that means mm -hmm. that we're only flipping e bits and so the edges are still not touching each other right. because E plus E is 2E, which right. is less than 2E plus 1, which is the minimum distance between two messages. Right. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. And so you understand kind of this idea of inside each ball is a real message and basically yeah. a bunch of, I would say, fake messages. Yeah. That... Yeah. That would be errors if I received them. Yes. However, you would be able to figure out the real message. Right, because I know the minimum distance. 
Or I know the code. And so it's got to be the one that's closest. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know the code. You know that, okay, if we're E away, we can always get back to our original message because we're in the one unique ball around a unique message. Right. So if there are only E bit flips in the message that is received by me, it's perfect error correction. If we assume I'm only going to get E or less bit flips. Exactly. Gotcha. Exactly. And so the question is, how many balls do we have? Ah, the sphere packing. Oh, <laughs> oh. yeah. Nice. Okay, I can see where this is going. Yes. Of. Eventually, one Eventually, day, yeah. decades in the future, reach sphere packing. Cool. The question is, how many of these balls can we have? The number of balls we can have is the number of possible messages we could send. Right, right. And we have to pack them very carefully if we want to maximize this. Yes, yes. But the thing to realize is that how many balls we could have is our total number of possible messages given that the length of a message is n bits long. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Because... Yeah, so our like bigger space is, uh, what, 2 to the n points in the space or something? And how'd you get that? Uh, zero, zero and one, and then we've got n possibilities, or I mean n slots, and each one can be a zero or a one, so you've got two choices for n slots, so that will be two times two times two n times. Exactly, right? Because for your first slot, you either pick a zero or a one, so you have two options there. For your second slot, zero, one, two options there. That's two times two, and then as you said, you just do it n times, two to the nth power mm -hmm. is how many possible messages there are, okay? Mm -hmm. And so here's the thing, is that we can therefore conclude that 2 to the n is greater than or equal to the number of messages we have times the size of our balls. Okay, right, yes, yeah. Because otherwise, they would intersect. Otherwise, exactly. Otherwise, the balls would intersect, but we know that the minimum distance means that the balls don't intersect. Right. And so therefore, by just dividing by yeah. the yeah. size of the balls, mm -hmm. we can determine the possible uh, number of messages we can have. The number of messages is less than or equal to 2 to the n mm -hmm. over the size of our balls. Right. Right. <laughs> And the size of our balls, right, is, if you're not familiar with how this works, then there's no need to get freaked out by it. But uh, for those who are interested, we can take our, the size of our balls to be the sum from i equals zero to e of n choose i, which all that's basically mm -hmm. saying is that the size of the ball is the real message itself yep. plus all of the uh, fake messages that are one away from our real message, right. plus all the fake messages that are two away, yep. plus all the messages that are three away, and on and on and on until we get to all the messages that are E away. Right. And so if we add all of those messages up, that is the size of our ball. Yeah. And since we know that two to the nth power is greater than or equal to the number of messages we have times the size of our balls, 
we can conclude, I keep saying size of our balls, it's ridiculous. We can conclude that our number of messages, just by dividing on both sides by the size of the balls. <laughs> God, God damn it. Okay, yeah. back on track, back on track. The number of messages is less than or equal to 2 to the n over the size of the balls. Right. Right. And that concludes our proof. Nice. Now we found some, yeah. some upper bound on the number of messages we can have which is 2 to the n over the size of the ball. Nice. And this would be in the perfect case where you pack the spheres perfectly. And wouldn't you know it? A code is perfect. Yeah. If if the number of messages is exactly equal to 2 yeah. to the n power over the nice. size of the ball. Mm-hmm. You called it yourself. Yeah, yeah. And in this case, remember, we set our minimum distance in the length of our message. The length is n. Our minimum distance is 2e plus 1. And so if you pack in your messages perfectly and you get a perfect code, Mm -hmm. you can correct errors of size E and detect errors of size 2E, which makes sense, right? Because Mm -hmm. the size of our ball is E. And so as long as we're in that ball, we can always correct our error back and figure out what the real message is. Uh And if our error is 2e, that means we've started at one message and we've uh, moved 2e away from it, right. but our minimum distance is 2e plus 1, so we right. haven't hit another message. Right, right. And it would probably be bad, though, if we had a 2e error. We'd probably error correct it to the wrong message. Correct. We've moved so far away from our original message that we've moved into a different ball, and so it gets corrected to that other message. Right. Okay. But we can still detect that there's been some error. Mm-hmm. We haven't ended up on a different valid message. Right. So now we're kind of coming to the end, which is Hamming's big breakthrough at the time, which is when E is 1, remember our minimum distance uh-huh. is 2E plus 1. So he's saying if our minimum distance is 3, yeah. okay, then we can find perfect codes known as Hamming codes. For example... If I send you uh, a message that is three bits long, Uh you get one bit of information out of that message. Right. Okay. If I send you a message that is seven bits long, you can get four bits of information out of that message, which corresponds to some length of message versus how much information we get out of the message. But the key understanding is that Hamming showed that as the length of our message gets longer, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sending you n bits per message. Mm -hmm. The percent used for the correcting slash checking of that message is less and less of a percent. Oh, cool. Of the total amount of message. That's awesome. Right? So eventually, I'm sending you a message where n is 31. My message is 31 bits long. Mm Mm-hmm. And so how much of that is useful information to you? 25 of those bits. Oh, nice. Yeah. Right. And this is a perfect code, assuming that we get less than three uh, bit flips. Mm. Oh, terminology. There's a little confusion in terminology here. The code is perfect, which means that we've packed as many messages as we can in, basically. Right. Given... Given the length of the message and that the minimum distance is 3. 2e plus 1, which in this case, e is 1, and so our minimum distance is 3. So given our minimum distance is 3 and the length of the message is 31, 
we've packed in as much information as possible. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've mm-hmm. packed in as perfectly as many messages as we can. Yeah. And so the idea is, therefore, all of our messages are exactly distance three away from each other. Yes. So whenever there's an error, or six or or four, minimum distance is three. Remember. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, so E is one. Right. So it would only be one or less. Yes. Oh, We can only correct an error of one bit flip or less. Right. Okay, okay. But we can detect an error of two bit flips. Yeah. Gotcha. But if we flip three bits, we end up at a different message. Mm -hmm. And so that is the key. So, So these are, that's the problem with as the handling code gets longer and longer. Yeah. You have more of a chance, in fact, that three of these 31 bits right, get flipped. Right. And so there's this balance between yeah. making your message too long and making it too short. And I think mm-hmm. people kind of fell on 7 4 or right. 15 11 were the good in between ones okay. that people chose. Cool. Where your message is 15 bits long and 11 of those bits are actual useful information, mm-hmm. while four of them are basically just to create some distance between messages. Yeah, like checking. Checking. And so there's some linear algebra that we can use to show how to create these subspaces of codes that are really nice and have this minimum distance. And that's what Hamming did. Yeah. And in fact, these Hamming codes are the only perfect linear codes where E equals one. There are some nonlinear codes where E equals one, but these are the only linear codes where E equals one. And so there's a lot of structure here. And Hamming is famous for saying, I certainly knew in a vague way the group structure, but I did not exploit that. He was kind of going in the dark and figuring this sort of stuff out, but he yeah. didn't really fundamentally understand the group structure of what was going on. Interesting. So is the um, is the space, like, uh, if your message is n bits long, is it like 0, 1? Z mod 2z yeah. to the nth dimension. Yeah. That's the space that you're taking subspaces of, which makes sense. And it is not immediately apparent which messages that you choose in a 7-4 Hamming code, for example. Mm-hmm. They correspond to some... Oh, I, I can't go into too many details. The okay. d- details get too visual. Like Z2 to the 7th. Yeah. And then you would take some four-dimensional subspace of that. Mm. You would take a four-dimensional subspace of that. Yes, I believe so. Or... I'm not sure it's four-dimensional subspace. Because how many messages do you have? You get four bits of information. So you would have... Ah, so you'd have like 16 bits of information? Or no, two to the... How many messages would you have if you had... In the... Yeah, in the seven Hamming code? Like you can send seven bits, but four is... Useful, so like the four would be two to the there would be two to the four messages. The, the total number of messages in the seven four Hamming code. Let's calculate this. Is going to be two to the seventh over um, seven choose zero plus seven choose one. So that's two to the seven over one plus seven. So two to the seven over eight. So two to the seven over two to the three which is going to be two to the four. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, it is. It is exactly. Yeah. There we go. That's that's where we're getting the four from. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. So, okay. yeah. So, for example... So you do get to use all of the four 
bit code, like messages. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Okay. So I'm sending you seven bits of information, and you get two to the four number of messages mm. are the number of messages that are like with are the real messages in some sense. Yeah. Nice. Questions about that? No, no, I think it's good. Yeah. Cool. Then I'm gonna finish off by just going talking a little bit about, about the future and nice. saying that if E is larger than one, right? Because we've said that minimum distance is three, but if we want E to be larger than one, right. i.e. Yeah. minimum distance is, if E is two, minimum distance is going to be five because mm -hmm. two times two plus one is five. Mm -hmm. In that case, we have a lot harder time finding perfect codes. Mm. The five repetition code, so earlier we were talking about you gave me the 10 repetition code, yeah. the five repetition code, zero, 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 right. and one, 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 one. Oh, okay. That code composed of those two messages is a perfect code uh, where uh, our minimum distance is five. Okay. <laughs> okay. So a lame perfect code, right, okay. And the only other perfect code are the go-lay codes, mm -hmm. which are a bit too complex to go into detail here. Yeah. And so then um, better error correction was later developed by these two guys, Reed and Solomon in 1960. Mm -hmm. And these are now known as Reed-Solomon codes and are used in consumer products like CDs and DVDs mm -hmm. and Blu-rays and QR codes, which people still use QR codes. Yeah. And we may talk about those in the future, but those are like more complex iteration and the kind of the step above these Hammond codes are the Reed-Solomon codes. But that's sometime in the future. I just want to give an idea of what may lay ahead in a future future podcast episode for us. Mm. All right. And so you can take off your blindfold now. Sweet. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Hammond cuts. Wow. What do you think about hammond cuts? I like them. Yeah. I like, uh, I didn't realize they had anything to do with spear packings. Right. And um, we might talk about that in my episode coming up, huh. actually, because symplectic geometry is very interested in in ball packings for sure well I'm, a, I'm excited to hear it and uh listeners i hope you are too yeah and i think that concludes episode two of open questions awesome love it.